0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Worthy by Pastor Sean Wood.
1: Let's pray as we come around God's Word. Father, I repeat the words of two men on the road to Emmaus again that said, as we spoke with him, Jesus, did our hearts not burn within us and did he not open our understanding? And so I pray for that this morning. I pray as we open your Word that our hearts would burn within us. I pray that you would open our understanding and I pray that we would hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches this morning. Blessed be your glorious name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, you'd like to meet me in Revelation chapter 5. Uh, A little bit of a disclaimer, if you came this morning thinking, you know what, it's the last Sunday before Christmas, I'll turn up to church for a nice fluffy-duffy kind of message. I apologise in advance, possibly not going to happen, but Revelations chapter 5, I believe, is the message for the season. It's interesting because uh, if you're taking notes this morning, if you want to know what Revelations chapter 5 is all about, I'm going to make it really simple for you. If you want to know where we're going to land this morning, uh, it's the word worthy. If you're if you're wondering, the word worthy is found in this passage over five times. I think John might be trying to tell us something. It's interesting, however, how we measure worth. I'm not sure if anybody's ever seen the show, The Antiques Roadshow. I know Terry's watched it. Just in case, just in case the TP's worth a bit of money or something. I don't know. But uh, 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 the Antiques Roadshow is an interesting, you know, these guys kind of turn up to these places and they have these heirlooms or whatever have been passed down and uh, they turn up thinking it's worth 15 bucks and they're told that it was, you know, the clock from some rare Russian prince and all of a sudden it's worth $15,000. And so it's, it's interesting how we measure worth. I think that's a message for the church today is quite often we are
0: in possession of the most valuable possession in the universe, but we don't know what it's worth. And I wonder... I wonder whether our lives depict the value that we place on that. It's interesting uh,
1: for those that live in Brisbane. You will know that over the last couple of years, real estate prices have boomed. I'm not sure whether anybody has realised that, but a couple of years ago, you could buy a house, uh, four-bedroom house, two bathrooms, roughly about five hundred thousand. Wellington Point, one point five million, of course, but uh, five hundred thousand was the average price. Uh, how many people know that's gone up to like six fifty, seven hundred thousand and upwards? And so the question becomes, what happened? Did everybody renovate their houses all of a sudden? No. Did we all of a sudden find a heap of gold in the soil around these houses? No, only in Wellington Point. But no, but what we do know is this. Uh, Something like property is worth the price somebody is willing to pay to get it.
0: Kind of might depict what you might be worth this morning as we unpack this passage. Somebody paid an enormous price to get you. Uh, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes we measure worth uh, depending on who's been
1: in possession. I remember watching a show called Porn Stars. Not what you think. Don't pray for your pastor. Okay. <laughs> All right. Merry Christmas. However, uh, however, it is the show of a porn shop, porn broker's shop.
0: Let me be clear for the video. <laughs> in Las Vegas. I can remember a guy walks
1: in with a guitar. I'm thinking, you know, he puts it up on the counter. I'm thinking this thing's worth at best five hundred bucks. Guy says, you know, it's this rare guitar. Da, 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 da. I'm thinking, whatever. You know, fishing rods. I can tell you, this guitars. I got no idea. What they do is they call in an expert who has a look at the guitar and says, it's definitely the one that this guy says. It's, it's definitely a one-of-a-kind original. I couldn't even tell you the name because I didn't care. However, this guy that had the guitar did. And, he, and By the way, the, the expert said, you know what, you might want to check that signature. So they get a signature guy to come in and check it, and it turns out it's the guitar that belonged to some rock star
0: that's passed away. All of a sudden, a $500 guitar, over $100,000. It is, it is a reality. If, if you put an AFL football in my hands, it's worth about 30 bucks. If you put
1: an AFL football in the hands of Gary Ablett Jr., it's worth about half a million dollars a year. All of a sudden, the worth and the value has gone up. If you put a golf club in my hands, you've just ruined a really good walk.
0: <laughs> and it's probably worth about 70 bucks at best. But if you put it in the hands of Tiger Woods, that golf club's worth millions. It's interesting how we define and how we measure worth and so the question I have today is what worth and value do we place on Christ? And no matter how we respond to that, it doesn't change the value that he has. He's not worthy. You don't make him worthy. He is worthy. And we're going to find out why today. Jesus Christ is Worthy,
1: Jesus said, two of the shortest parables in Scripture, Matthew 13:44 and 45. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a man who found treasure in a
0: field, and goes and sells all he has, and buys that field. The value, the worth.
1: And Jesus says there was a, the kingdom of heaven will be like a, a merchant of pearls, who upon finding one pearl goes and sells all he has and
0: abandons his search for any other pearls, interestingly enough, so that he can buy that one pearl. Is that the worth that we place on Christ? We have a world out there that we're demanding treat Christ as though he's worthy, but maybe the world out there is saying you first.
1: John, we're going to ask the same questions today as we did when we looked at chapter 4. We're going to ask the question, what did John see and what did John hear as we work our way through the book of Revelation? The most important questions we need to ask is, what did John see and what did John hear? Why? Because it's a series of visions that John sees. John, what did you see? What did you hear? What does it mean and how does it apply to us today? Chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 1. Let's begin our journey through this chapter this morning. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. A little bit of a recap. At chapter 4, we know what happens is John has known a reality like all of us. We think often we can fall into the trap of thinking that this world that we can see, that we can touch, that we can feel is ultimate reality, what John opens our eyes and our knowledge to is, you know what, I stepped through a door and I got a whole different perspective. I found out that everything here is a shadow of the reality that lies on the other side of that door. And if you want to know what John saw when he walked through that door, you'll have to go back to that message. But John has done so and he sees a throne, he sees one seated on a throne and in the right hand of him, chapter 5, seated on the throne is a scroll written within On the back and sealed with seven seals. Now, before we get the spook meter out and ask ourselves the question, what is the seven seals? We will deal with that in the new year. That's not the important part today. The important part is, what is this scroll? And two really important things about this scroll one, where it is located, and two, as we will see, who it is that can open the scroll. John says, I saw in the right hand of him, this scroll is in the right hand of the one that is seated on the throne and it is written within and on the back. First century, a little bit of history lesson, first century scrolls were not read vertically, they were read horizontally. So you would take a scroll and unfold it long ways and read it crossways and there was never anything written on the back, but this scroll is written within and on the back. What does that mean? Nothing will be added. When we, when we come to passages like this in the scripture, how are we best to understand what is before us? Well, we have to take what is before us in light of the whole Bible. Do we see this anywhere else that would, might help us with our understanding? And we go back to my favourite little friend, the freaky little Ezekiel dude in the Old Testament. And in chapter 2 of Ezekiel, in verses 9 and 10, he is given a scroll
0: which contains the judgments of God. He's told to eat that scroll. Here we see in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, that's
1: where the scroll is, is written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And what we will begin to learn more as we press past chapter 6 and further into the book of Revelation, that this scroll is the fullness of God's plan of both judgment and redemption. This is God's plan from history in the present and into the future, the fullness of his redemptive plan of
0: redemption and judgment. And up until the one that opens the scroll, nobody was worthy, we will see. Let's keep reading
1: and see what else John sees. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel, no name given. We don't need to surmise. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? What an interesting question. The question is who is worthy? What I found interesting about that question is the question was not who is big enough, who is strong enough, who is powerful enough, who is wise enough, who is clever enough. No,
0: the answer is who is worthy. And that's the question perhaps that comes to us today. Every year we come to Christmas time,
1: And I am doing you a disservice as your pastor if we get into the new year and I don't pull you up long enough to go, let's just press the pause button for a moment. Deck the halls, put the trees up, get the presents under the tree, plan the family get-togethers, do all of that. But please do not let this
0: Christmas go past. Without savouring what it's all about. That baby in the manger, he is worthy. As Steve brilliantly highlighted this morning, John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us.
1: You see, John writes his gospel, for those that want to read John's gospel, John writes his gospel well after everybody else. And the prologue, the first 14 verses of that chapter, are some of the most profound scripture you'll find anywhere. John says, writing to the Jews and to the Greeks, he says, the word was in the beginning. And we think it's this. We think, you know, well, the Bible was always, that's not what John is talking about. What, he, what he's saying to the Jews is, you search the scriptures looking for a Messiah. You're looking for the fulfillment of all these promises. I want to introduce you to the ultimate explanation, the Logos. And to the Greeks who sit around in white sheets pretending they know everything and talking about the order in the universe and trying to find the meaning of everything, John would say, I want to press the pause button and introduce you to the ultimate explanation for everything that you're trying to find out. His name is Jesus. He existed before the universe. He's always been in the presence
0: of God. And John will go on to say, he became flesh. What among us? How profound that God would. Isn't interesting that when God comes into
1: our world, there's so much that's interesting about that. First thing is he didn't clean the world up before he came. He didn't demand that we get our act together before he came. He stepped into all of our rubbish and mess. He comes as a baby, completely vulnerable.
0: Everybody was expecting a, a, a rider on a white horse. We'll get to him later on. comes as a baby to save the world. The angel proclaims not who is big enough, not who is strong enough. The question that's before
1: us is who is worthy. Is God big? Yes. Is God strong? Yes. Is he all-powerful? Yes. The question before us this morning is, is he worthy?
0: That baby that was born in a manger, is he worthy? Let's keep reading. And I saw a strong angel
1: proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. I find that amazing. Guess what? Moses couldn't open the scroll. Moses spoke to God face to face.
0: We read of Abraham that he spoke to God like we speak to each other. Daniel was one of the most devout,
1: godly men you'll read of in Scripture, but but he couldn't open the scroll and Isaiah couldn't open the scroll and Jeremiah couldn't open the scroll and you and I could never even imagine to open
0: the scroll. There was nobody found in heaven, on earth or under the earth. Nobody was found. Verse 4, John says, and I began to weep
1: loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. The next verse, I believe, is very important for us. But sometimes we may even be able to draw on what John is feeling here, just briefly. Spend five minutes watching the news and you will think, spend ten minutes on Facebook, five minutes watching the news, and you will think the world is out of control. God, what is going on here? Surely you are losing the battle. Surely you've lost your authority. Surely you've gone to sleep, God. Have you not noticed what's going on? Five children
0: just died on a jumping castle in Tasmania. Terrible. Imagine the Christmas for those families. And we look at
1: all the events that are taking place and maybe we are tempted to weep. Maybe just like John, we found nobody. God, have you lost your authority? It feels like the devil's having a field day.
0: As we discovered in chapter 4, there is one on the throne. He has not got off his throne. I love what one of the elders says. John, if you were here for chapter 4,
1: we noticed what John saw was a throne. He saw one seated on the throne. He saw four living creatures. We're going to be introduced to them in a moment. And there was, there was like no gap between those living creatures and the throne. We know those living creatures kind of ordered worship in, uh, in the heavenlies. And then around the throne and the four living creatures were 24 thrones and 24 elders, which numbers are very important. Just a quick recap is the complete number of God's redeemed people from both covenants. One of those elders says something to John. I believe it's a message to us today. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to
0: open the scroll or look into it. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Weep no more. There is
1: both in this sentence a command and an invitation. First one is weep no more. That's the command. The invitation is to behold. Weep no more because what now the elder will say to John is to turn your attention. Behold, uh, attend to or consider the line of the tribe of Judah. Consider the root of David. Uh, For those that read the prophecies of Isaiah, you will know God says, I have laid the axe at the base of the tree. What am I doing? I'm cutting down the Old Testament, but from the stump will come another shoot. From the root of David. Another kingdom and another covenant. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David by which another one shall spring forth. And he conquered. That's the message today. Not he will conquer. If your end time theology sounds like Jesus has to come
0: back to get the victory, what part of his victory on the cross was partial? The message to John is not he will conquer, not he may conquer, not he'll get round to it. He has. We do not work towards, we are not fighting a fight to obtain a victory. We fight to enforce it. I remember when I was, the first job I had was in the radiator shop.
1: I remember a guy rings me up uh, from one of the big logging companies and says, uh, the mechanic says, I've got this machine here. Small thing, takes a photo, says, do you think you can fix this without me having to you know, take the machine down. It's $20,000 a day if the machine's off. Had a look. at so, said, mate, it's simple, 10-minute job. He says, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning and take you out there. So he did the Hairiest ride I've ever had in the ute, by the way. Uh, you learn to pray when you drive with these guys. However, get out into the bush, and I'm fixing the machine, and <clears throat> there's a guy down the bottom near a creek in a Tiger Cat. Tiger Cat's big logging machine. Grabs hold, cuts, strips. Brilliant machine. But he got stuck. Something very simple that the mechanic should have fixed has caused the machine to break down. He's on the radio, I need you to come down. Uh, mechanics, like, I can't get down there. Like, it's all bush. I, I can't get the, between me and you, I can't get there. All of a sudden, on the radio, we hear this, I've got it. Next thing you know, this bloke comes over the hill in this almighty oh, great big caterpillar dozer. And can I tell you that every rock, stump,
0: and tree just went, whoosh. And I mean, this guy just drove his jute his down there like it was a main road. He
1: paved the way, that's the message today. Jesus has conquered. He
0: has gone before us. He has removed all the obstacles between us and God. If Jesus, I believe, could say something to us today, I believe it would be this. Because he has conquered, every person in this room today is as close to God as you want to be. Weep no more, behold. Change your focus. Turn the telly off. Close down your Facebook account. And feed on and behold the one who has conquered so that
1: he can open the scroll and its seven seals. I love this next part. Verse 6. Cracking with me? And between the throne. Notice the last time, chapter 4, there was nothing between the throne and the four living creatures. Now between the throne and the four living creatures, and I love this next word, and among the elders, among God's redeemed people, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Today if you're asking yourself the question, why should I cast all of my life, why should I surrender my life to Jesus? I want to tell you today he's worthy and we're going to unpack what that worthiness is. We're going to begin to, I pray, have a glimpse, a glimpse of the worth and the value that rests in Christ. The elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns. Horns are representative of strength. We will later on read of a kingdom with ten horns and we'll deal with that when we get there. But seven horns speaks of perfect strength. Seven eyes speaks of perfect vision, which are the spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. That's good news this morning as we're going to unpack that. What John sees, uh, remember chapter 1 for those that are tracking with us, chapter 1, John turned to see the voice that was talking and he sees white hair, he sees burning eyes, he hears a voice like raging waters. Now he sees a lamb. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was never told how Jesus would die, by the way. John the Baptist was told that he was the forerunner for Christ. But he, he believed for a long time the same as everybody else did. Every other Jew was expecting an earthly ruler to come and conquer Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. But that all changed after the baptism. Because after the baptism, in
0: John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. One day we might do a series called The Big Words of the Bible. And if we did, this word
1: would be in there. It's the word propitiation. It's not big because it's long. It's not big because it's hard to spell. It's big because of its depth and its profound profundity. There you go. There's a word that I've been been reading in the dictionary again, Terry. I do apologise. But that word propitiation means something very deep when we're looking at the lamb because the lamb and the reference here is a reference in the Old Testament to the slain lamb, the one that was offered up in place of our sin. Under the Old Testament, just so that we can cover it off quickly, that lamb had to be without spot, without mark, without blemish. It had to be the firstborn
0: of your flock and it had to be offered to God. And though in the Old Testament teaches us some very valuable lessons, uh,
1: what the Ten Commandments and the law should teach all of us is that God demands righteousness. Why? Because he's holy. God's holy, holy, holy. We learned that last time from chapter 4. And he is righteous. And his character demands that he must deal with sin. His character is such that he can't just put our sins underneath the rug. He can't just forget about them. How many how many times have you heard the question, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God just get rid of our sins? God had to deal with them. There is a judicial process that has there is a death that must occur. There is wrath that rests on sin. But for a time, we were we learned that it doesn't matter how many lambs you bring, doesn't matter how many cows you bring, doesn't
0: matter how many cats you bring. You cannot take away sin. Hebrews says,
1: uh, "If those sacrifices that suffice to clean up the outside, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse our conscious conscience from sin?"
0: Beautiful words they are. It's a little bit deeper though. You see, God wants to show us mercy. God wants to show us grace,
1: and. He knows he has to deal with sin, and we know and he knows that the, the sacrifices don't cover it, so he sends his son. And the propitiation mean, to propitiate means to appease, to appease the wrath of a God. Propitiation is the verb of that. And so what propitiation means, in Romans, Paul says that God put forward Jesus Christ as our propitiation. What that means is God says, I'm going to deal with sin, so I'm going to take my
0: son here with no sin, com- completely innocent, and, and I'm going to place him on the altar and I'm going to pour out all of my wrath, I'm going to pour out all of my anger on sin and I'm going to deal with it in the, in the person of my son. That's propitiation. You want to know why he's worthy? Because he was innocent. We, he took our punishment. And
1: maybe, maybe that sounds like to you, well, God dragged Jesus up the hill, kicking and screaming by his hair. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying and says, not my will, yours be done. Then he stands up and he says to those that had come to seize him, do you not know that I could call upon 12 legions
0: of angels right now? What does that tell me? He chose to walk up that hill. He didn't carry his cross. He was hugging that cross. The lamb that was slain, he walked up that hill in our place. That's good news for Christmas, friends. Why is he worthy? Worthy, worthy? because he took your place. Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. John sees a lamb that was slain. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven
1: spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I love how this continues. Verse 7. He went and took the scroll. I will unfold and I will unpack the scroll and the fullness of God's plan of redemption and judgment. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. Speaking of praise and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9, and they sang a
0: new song. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were
1: slain. I love that word, were. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. They're beautiful words this morning. From every tribe and language and people and nation. Yes, including From New Zealand this morning. Verse 10 And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Verse 12 Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy. I love that saying, a new song. You know, Uh, often in our testimony we say, you know what, God put a new song in my heart. And that might literally mean that you sing, and before you get to the edge of your seat, I promise you, I would not do it to me or you. I'm not going to sing this morning. It's interesting what we really mean by the fact that God has put a new song in our heart is, you know what, my my life now flows to a different tune and a different beat and a different rhythm. I was, my life went to this hopeless kind of uh, no hope, sinful kind of tune, but now I have a new song in my heart. There's a world out there, I'm going to speak to this again in a moment, but there's a world out there that's looking for a new song. And it's not the song the media is playing every night on the news, it's not the song that you'll find on Facebook, it's not the song you'll find on Instagram or Snapchat, or for the TikTokers here this morning. As a new song. I remember I was born again in the Salvation Army. I, I have a great deal of respect for the Salvation Army, and I can remember giving my testimony. Uh, we used to sing, for those that think I'm too young to sing hymns, we sang hymns every week at the Salvation Army. I think we should sing more hymns. There is some power in those hymns. Amen? Uh, uh, the Salvation Army
0: hymn book had 962 hymns. How do I know that? We used to sing the last one every Sunday. But that last one for me is my testimony. It's the new song that God's put in my heart. I promised I wouldn't
1: sing it this morning. I'm not going to. But it goes a little bit like this. This, this is the God that we adore. Our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power and it knows neither measure nor end, Bertha. Tis Jesus, the first and the last, whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We will praise him for all that has passed and
0: trust him for all that's to come. We sang that at the end of every service when I was in the Salvation Army, and that's the song that God has put in my heart. But there is a different tune that's being played. And the new song, I pray, comes to us this Christmas is the song Worthy is the Lamb. The reality is that what you value and what you place worth on will show up in your life. What you give worth, what you give weight, what you give value to will show up on Sunday morning. Merry Christmas. It'll show up on Monday morning. It shows up at work when nobody else is looking and you could do a myriad of
1: different things, but the value of him is far greater. It goes a little bit like this. Here's an example. If you I hear you're rambling, Pastor, give us some scripture to back this up. Okay. A little little boy by the name of Joseph teaches us a very valuable lesson. See, Joseph has a dream. Lesson number one, don't tell anybody your dreams. But he's hated by his brothers and this Joseph will find himself sold into slavery, finds himself in Egypt, finds himself in the house of the chief of the guards, Potiphar at that point in time. Potiphar is away, nobody's in the house. It is just Joseph and Potiphar's
0: wife. Here's what I like. Potiphar tries to seduce Joseph. The other reality is, we lift the lid on this for a moment, Joseph could have got away with this. Nobody would have known, but God would have known. Here's,
1: the value. here's what it looks like when God has an increasing value in your life. The answer that Joseph gives to Potiphar's wife is, is not, how could I do this in case my dad found out? Not, what, hap- what would happen if Potiphar found out? That's not what he said. Joseph says, how could I do
0: this and sin against my God? Because he has far greater worth in my life than these others. You see, Christmas can be about a lot of different things.
1: I spent many years driving taxis over night time at Christmas time. Busiest time of the year was to, to drive a taxi was around Christmas time, but it was almost the saddest. What should be the festive season for many people is not the festive season. Many people will eat Christmas dinner alone
0: for various reasons. For many people, the demographic of life has changed. The question I ask everybody here this morning as I begin to bring this to a close is, what value
1: and worth do we place upon the Lamb? Before we close, we're gonna, I'm going to ask Steve to play a song before we do, but before we get there, some people here may know, for those who read the pastor's comments, you may be aware, recently uh, my stepfather passed away very suddenly and taught me some amazing lessons.
0: <clears throat>
1: At 64 years of age, wakes up one Monday morning, It's working in the shed, and in the space of time it takes to have a cigarette, because his mate walked out, had a cigarette come back, he was dead on the floor. Could not be resuscitated. 64 years of age, is very young. And although many people may use many words to describe my stepfather, I would use the word driven. It wasn't good enough to go fishing. You had to be the best fisherman there that day. It wasn't good enough to run a forestry company. You had to plant the most trees every year. It wasn't good enough to be comfortable. You had to make more money and have more possessions. And it wasn't good enough to have a boat that would do. You had to have some angled big boat
0: with twin inboard engines. But what he taught me was, he was driven and searching for something to give his life away to. And he never found it. There were times when standing in the boat next to him, I was convinced and I knew that I was standing in the boat with one of Tasmania's best fly fishermen. Probably only bettered by his dad, who wrote a book about fly fishing. There were times working for him when I understood that there was a certain way of doing stuff. But what Events like this teaches. Ecclesiastes is so wise. You know, Ecclesiastes
1: says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting because at least when you go to the house of mourning, you'll reflect. And sometimes when these things happen, it causes us to reflect. And if I could have one more day in the boat, we never got along. For those that know my testimony, me and my stepfather never got along really. He was a man that deliberately, intentionally decided he would teach me nothing, but I learned a lot from. If I could have one more day in that boat, I'd tell him, you know what? How many fish we've got when we get to the boat ramp doesn't matter. If if I could have one more day with him, I'd say, you know what, planting 3.1 million trees in six months and fertilising them in six months doesn't really matter. If I could have been there that Monday
0: morning, I would have said, you know what, cleaning the shed and getting all this organised today doesn't really matter. What matters is... When we pass from this life, what was worthy for us? The most important thing when you get to that boat ramp is where you stand with Jesus.
1: This Christmas, the most important thing is not trees and presents,
0: the most important thing is what place does that baby have in your life? I'm going to ask Steve to play a song now as we just pause and reflect and ask ourselves the question. This is a
1: beautiful song that I believe asked us all the question here this morning. Let's just, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. But let's just take a moment
0: to behold and ask ourselves what value we place. What we value defines what matters in our lives. Thank you, Steve. Do you feel the world's broken? We do you feel the shadows deepen?
1: We but do you know that all the dark won't
0: stop the light from getting through? We do you wish that you could see it all made? you
1: Father, we thank you for your goodness. Jesus, we echo those words, you are worthy. As we approach the festive season, you're worthy.
0: You're worthy of all our praise. You're worthy of all the honour. You're worthy of all the glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our lamb. You've taken away our sin. You are seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Father, I pray that you would, over this season, Lord, help us to recount the worth and the value that we place. Help us, Lord, to live lives worthy of the calling we have received.
1: In your wonderful name this morning. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast.